This morning, we are taking a closer look at power in our conversation today. And as Vince and I were talking and getting ready for this morning, it became clear that there is a need to reframe and rethink what power can and should look like. And I've realized that I hold this tension of different views of power, one that's condemning of power structures that are controlling and dangerous and dehumanizing. And then there's this power that is beautiful and healing, the power to uplift instead of the power to rule over. And it doesn't take much effort to look around and see injustice taking place that comes from an abuse of power. And I've realized that lately it's a lot easier for me to name and call out where power corrupts or harms. I'm drawn toward those conversations than I actually am in the habit of resting in the good and redemptive power of Jesus. So I've been asking questions like, is the church just copy and pasting versions of power structures into religious settings? Or is there a different way to conceptualize power? So one of our hopes for today is that we would begin to reframe power in a way that is rooted in Jesus. And so Vince, as we get started here, I'm wondering if you could share a personal story that's shown you that rethinking power is necessary, it's not optional. Yeah, um, so I suppose there's a, there's a couple different ways we could talk about this. One would be like um, reframing power in terms of like, what does it mean for God to have power? And then the other would be like reframing power in terms of what does it mean to operate with, uh, operate with power in a Jesus way? Um, and so, uh, I, I think the immediate story that comes to mind is like the first kind of thing of like, what does it mean that God has power? And I always go back to a friend of mine, um, who knew I was a pastor and we ended up having like a, a spiritual conversation because that tends to happen to me sometimes. Like when you're just, uh, having, when you have enough, uh, wine or beer in you. And, uh, uh, this friend said, um, do you know, Vince, I used to believe in God, but I stopped. Uh, he said after the Newtown shooting. Um, I think that was 2012. Um, so after the Newtown shooting, I was done. And that was the words he used. He was done. He was done believing in God. And I, I, you know, his, his sense is a sense that I think a lot of people have when they think about power and God was like, if, if there is a God and that God couldn't stop such suffering, um, I, I just, I, I don't even want to believe in that God. So I'm going to just choose to be done with this because it's just, it's more palatable. And I think my, you know, the, the, that is so clear to me that we need to rethink the idea of power because I don't actually believe in that God either. Like if there is, I, I, I remember somebody walking me through a, a thought experiment one. It's if I saw somebody, uh, if I witnessed abuse, like somebody was abusing somebody else and then there was another person nearby that what it was possible for them to stop the abuse, but they chose not to, I wouldn't let that person off the hook, right? Like if they had the power to stop, they should have stopped. They should have stepped in. And no matter what reason this person gave, I would, I would just say like, you, you, you let abuse happen. You didn't stop it. And I think the problem is that we have often uh, talked about God as though God is so separate and different and and, and distant and unlike humanity that we're okay with 
that being something that we can let God off the hook for. You know, God could stop this terrible thing from happening, but we just were, but we, we uh, God chooses not to because there's some sort of grand reason behind that. And we let God off the hook, uh, off the hook for that. We say like, oh, well, there, there must be some sort of mysterious reason, or there must be some sort of, you know, like good plan that will, this will lead to a good thing in the end. And when we apply that to God, when we, when we think that way, I think that we start to develop a picture of power that slowly like corrodes any trust or confidence we could possibly have in God. Because that's a, I mean, like that, I, I would not let a person off the hook in that situation. And I don't want to let a God off in, the, in that situation. And so I do think that there, right there is like, it, there, there is a, it shines a big spotlight on a way that we tend to understand what power is that I just don't think works. Like if that's what power is, I don't believe in that God and I don't uh, like I need to rethink that I need to think of something else. So that's one thing that comes to mind for me of just like this doesn't work. I, I don't I don't I don't believe in that kind of power when we think about power in terms of control and like could step in at any moment and stop anything. If God is is behind everything that ever happens in the world, I just I don't believe in that. So so I need to rethink that. I, I wonder, though, if I can if I can like throw the the ball back to you Haley whether about like the god's power thing or more like the how does power operate in our world what what makes you think that we need to rethink power yeah even in echoing some of what you just said i think it takes it to another level when we're not just saying oh well god allowed this to happen or it's like this is all in god's control um but to say that it's this is what God intended so that I would be closer to God or be more trusting. Like that's not, that's not a God that I can trust. Like that's a, an abusive Agreed. situation. <laughs> Agreed. Yes. Yeah. That that's abuse of power. That's exactly what you started us talking about of like that. We, we see that a lot. We see that a lot in corporate settings. We see that a lot in work settings. We see that a lot in religious settings. Right. And we just don't want to, we don't want to touch that. If those are the thing, if that's what it means for God to have power, I'm out. Yeah. And I don't know how you can, how you can opt into that. Like that doesn't feel redemptive or good news to me at all. Um, but even going in this direction of thinking about how power is functioning in structures and in communities. Um, rethinking power for me is not just to be able to believe in and trust God, but it's actually, um, I need to rethink how power works in order to have hope in people um, and hope in communities to not just be overcome by this like overwhelming sense of, well, what's the point? And um, this is just insurmountable. It's too impossible to ever combat or take down, um, to get away from those kind of all consuming feelings and move into a direction that's actually still making room for hope and a power that can be redemptive. Um, and a story comes to mind for me. I know that I've mentioned my experiences at Stateville before and taking classes there with men who are incarcerated. And it's just so blatantly obvious to see hierarchical power in place in that setting, um, that the men I'm in classes with have little power within the system itself. There's a structure in place, there's officers and higher ups, and they can make spur of the moment decisions that impact day-to-day um, -day life and functioning with really like, little explanation or reasoning. Um, a lot of lockdowns and restrictions and everything there, I see as being really rooted in control. 
Um, and a particular story that comes to mind, there's one class I was in where normally we would be able to um, sit mingled with one another, those students who are incarcerated and those who would travel out to Joliet to be present in class. Um, and suddenly we walked into class and we were no longer allowed to sit mingled with one another. The students who are what we call outside students had to sit all against one wall, um, which is just problematic and frustrating that those relationships couldn't, like we couldn't continue to have side conversations, getting to know one another and um, checking in with one another week to week that there was this spirit of separateness that was everything against the purpose of even being in class another um, and I got really frustrated and other people did too obviously and one of my friends um, Howard said you know it's okay when we dig tunnels and I come back to that phrase all of the time um, in that setting even though we were separated in the classroom we were still able to share meals together most weeks um, for them even more separation during COVID with permanent lockdowns and things like that um, there's this turn to letter writing and students corresponding for classes. Um, my experiences at Stateville have really shown me there's potential for creative rethinking of what communal power can hold. Um, names get tossed around like the beloved community or the church without walls, that even when you're forced to function logistically within the structures that are in place, there is this relational and hopeful um, just opportunities for powerful change in that setting. So it really strikes me that the the biggest thing we're talking about here, it when it when we both feel, I mean, we have these these negative experiences around power is is control. It sounds like uh, you, you use the word hierarchy. That really feels like uh, that tends to set us up for situations where we see abuses of power or we are taught to ascribe abuses to power to God and then be okay with that, and. Um, and what we need to move away from is is control. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, a move away from controlling power and an embrace of creative power. Um, I don't think that the, the hierarchical structures that we see and witness that really are abusive and harmful, that they're very creative. Um, but if we think about power of God in a really broad sense, like one of the first things I think of is creation and things like that, that there are these beautiful images of just a powerful God that has a creative way of interacting and engaging with the world that isn't disengaged. Um, it's the complete opposite of control. This kind of um, shift from control to creativity is kind of where my brain has landed on some of this. Hmm. Um, but yeah, in continuing in that thread, is there a image for you, Vince, or a teaching of Jesus that helps you in this process of rethinking power. Yeah, I, li I like that because we what we talked about is like, can we can we start with Jesus and then build out from there to come up with a concept of power so that that that's different than maybe these things that you know like feel really wrong and feel really off to us. So uh, I do. I have uh, I, I have some. Um, one thing I think about uh, with uh, Jesus's Jesus's teachings, he 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 will often bring up. So um, he'll tell stories about the kingdom of God, which would be like the power of God. We might say this is where God's God's kingdom is where God's say goes, right? Like God is king, and so and so we uh, their 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 power is is uh, is at play, 
And, um, and so what, what we often get when Jesus tells stories about God's kingdom or about God's power is like very complicated pictures of like nature and, you know, like, oh, the God, you know, uh, a, a, a farmer went out to sow seed and the seed went on all of the different lands. And so, you know, so there, there's, there's a degree of like God going out and, and, and being the one who sows seeds, but then there's, there's lots of other things at play here. There's different kinds of land. There's some, you know, the, Haley, you mentioned the, this uh, parable of the sower a couple of weeks ago. Oh, the, there's different types of soil that might happen. Or, or we get God saying um, the kingdom of God is like a widow who goes to an unjust judge. And so we, we have this, this cool kind of like God is, is showing us the model. The hero in this story is, is a widow who's going to a judge that won't give her justice. And in this picture, this, this is very complicated. So it's like, there's, there, so there's injustice going on. It's not like, it's just like, oh, you know, God rides above and, 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 the, and the heroes of the stories are always people who are removed from what's going on. Well, in this story, we have the hero of the story involved in something where, where bad things happen. There's injustice going on and the widow needs to get her justice. Or, or we have stories of like a wise worker and a foolish worker. Or we have stories of a priest and an outcast who all do the same things. And then the surprising character is the, is the hero of the story. This is, Jesus, the way he would tell stories kind of implied that when we come when we when we come to God and we come to God as as powerful as able to accomplish things that we can't what we always tend to build out from is a world that has conflict or a world that has complications or a world where not everything is ordered and neat and perfect and tidy all the time. There is mess. There is problem. There are threats. There's danger. There's people who do unjust things. There's chaos in the world. And what we get when we go to Jesus is power to stand in the midst of that mess and walk forward or find a way through or see the un, un, unexpected way past or persist or persevere or you know all of all of these things are the are the are the, the pictures of power that Jesus gives us when he tells stories of the kingdom of God now what i what i think is really important is that in general, when we think about the way that we conceive of power, what we were talking about before, control, what is, what is a powerful God? A powerful God is a God who could stop any suffering, but chooses not to sometimes. That, that's, what we're, that's what we're taught to believe about what God's power is. Now that, interestingly, doesn't square with these Jesus stories about what is power for God. It certainly doesn't square with the culmination of Jesus's life, who's like, who dies. And then it, the power is resurrection after death, not avoiding death or escaping death or saying like, no, I don't have to die because I'm God. God actually goes through with it and then is resurrected after the fact. And so uh, I do think it's important to say that whether we realize it or not, a lot of our assumptions as people who live in, in modern day America, a lot of our assumptions about what power is or what God's power could be is from Eurocentric male dominated voices. Uh, so for example, uh, Aristotle, who is a you know, Greek philosopher pre uh, Jesus. Uh, th so this would have affected the, how people believed even in Jesus's times. Uh, Aristotle called God the unmoved mover. And there is still, there's still a great deal of legacy of how we understand, like, what is a powerful God up there? Uh, it's, it, we still kind of think of the unmoved mover. God is, is, is distant and up here and sort of, you know, 
He can he can drop down like a little uh, intervention from now and then, but he's really just a puppet master, you know, playing with the this chessboard. But he could he could change everything in a moment if he wanted to. He he doesn't want to sometimes, but he could do that if he wanted to. That's our picture of the unmoved mover. But I I really like a um, there there was a, a play on this from a, a Jewish theologian actually who uh, was trying to understand better the God of the Bible. And uh, this uh, this Jewish theologian is Abraham Joshua Heschel, and his famous phrase responding to Aristotle about the unmoved mover God was he called God the most moved mover. And I just really like that. God is not the unmoved mover. God is the most moved mover. And Jesus certainly takes up that mantle. When we see Jesus, again, in all of those ways that he talks about the kingdom of God, he's smack dab in the middle of the mess. And he is most moved by all of the things that are going on. And he presses us for us. He says, my power is to guide you through this, not to stand above and say, oh, I could just tinker and, you know, and, and stop this thing from happening. I'm not sure that's what God's power is. I think God's power is more in the, in, in the vein of resurrection after death, not avoiding death because you can and, and, and you can, you can skate above that. So, I, I, that's what draws me about Jesus, the way he talked about the kingdom of God. Uh, what about you? What, what draws you in, in terms of like shifting the way we're thinking about power? Yeah, I love, I love this um, most moved mover title for God. Um, since you brought it up earlier in this week, that's something that I've really been sitting with. Of how do I see yeah. Jesus as someone who's really... Um, absolutely moved in every situation that there's, um, I think a lot of times our view of power, which is probably more accurately named as just control, that those things are measured by productivity and influence and autonomy and things like that. And that's not how Jesus operates. Like anytime that there's an interaction with someone, with an actual person in front of him, he is moved to act in some way or teach in some way to have this relational um, presence with instead of this mindset of like, well, this would not be, this isn't worth my time. Like I'm, I've got all this power. I need to like move on to the next thing type of mentality that I think we don't often see. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I was going to say, and it's even, you know, even the God of the Old Testament carries that same quality that Jesus then I think I think exemplifies but you know the God of the Old Testament in the Exodus story for example the the Exodus begins with this beautiful stirring moment where it says God has heard the cries of his enslaved people and wants to free them and save them I mean right there God is in the middle of the mess God is not riding above and you know where like God can tinker and control everything I think God is God's power is lived out in the moments of the things that are going on, and uh, and there so there right there we see the most moved mover. God is is moved with compassion for the suffering of people, and God's power is fighting through that, not riding above. Yes, absolutely. Um, and there's an invitation to join in that, to not be tempted to just disengage from things. Um, Really, when we see Jesus's teachings about the kingdom of God, they're a foil to the way that earthly kingdoms have come to be, or the way that they function, the structures that are in place that fit people into certain categories. Um, 
that the teachings and miraculous healings and all of that that takes place within Jesus's ministry, that all of that is in the context of relational presence. It's, it's this like getting your hands dirty thing that you're talking about here, Vince. Um, and a passage came to mind for me in John where um, Jesus is teaching the disciples and he says something along the lines of, you are going to do greater things than what I have done. Um, the exact, the verse here, John 14, 12 says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I'm going to the father. And there can be a lot of like, well, what does it mean? Like, am I more powerful than God? Um, is that what I'm called to be? Do I have special powers over the world or a claim to the kingdom of God? Um, and I know it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but I think that there can be some understanding of like, well, I am chosen by God to do X, Y, and Z. That's what it means to have the power of God to operate in that sense. We see that language along the lines too in the, the Great Commission, it's called, when Jesus is saying like, go and make disciples throughout the world. Um, that a lot of interpretations can be like, the key here is multiplication, like more people, more religious power, just contribute to that. And it leads to really just gross things like white savior complexes and missions that really just perpetuate colonialism, thinking that you have this special place of power and privilege um, and that you, yourself, your community of people who look like you and think like you, that you're the ones bringing the kingdom of God throughout the world. But it's necessary here that we reframe this from controlling power that's like taking over um, to relational presence. And that's what Jesus is getting at. That those who follow Jesus aren't given a power over, but are called to be present with. The power doesn't lie in control or ownership, but in the goodness that can and should come about. If those who are following Jesus, especially those with power and privilege, are able to be present even in the face of suffering and injustice in the world. And when Jesus says, you will do greater works than these, he's, um, or when he's instructing people to go and make disciples throughout the world, he's not talking about converting people or imposing religious power structures on others. He's talking about the ability to go and to be present to speak truth, to heal, and to hope, especially in places where power in a, a worldly sense is being used to harm and control people, that there's this redemptive story. And even in that passage too, it says that we will do greater works because Jesus is going to the Father. Like that involves death. That's so messy. That's such chaos. That's not the spiritual avoidance of, well, God is in control, so I'm going to step out of the mess. That's saying, no, this is an invitation to be relationally present and to see what can happen out of that because of this, um, this proximity to suffering that I think is present in there. Yeah, that makes me think of uh, a time when uh, my wife and, uh, and kids were visiting my uh, amazing in-laws who spent many years living in solidarity uh, with uh, the poor in uh, the country of uh, Niger, West Africa and uh, serving in a hospital in that space and um and this was this was a it was it was extremely humbling and um incredible to walk in uh the life that my uh in-laws lived for many years and uh, one thing i remember though is that 
the this complex, this hospital that they that they worked in was a real mixed bag in terms of motivations for why people were there. And I do think I totally saw this dynamic of control power versus relational power that you're talking about, Haley, there, uh, where I would I would interact with uh, my in-laws, I would interact with some others and just feel this deep longing to be in solidarity and, 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 to, and to say like, I, I, I cannot live a, uh, a, you know, a, a comfortable, like removed life when there is such pain. I, 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 I want to help as best I can and just be. And it's all of that present stuff, all of that relational stuff that I would get. But then I do remember one interaction that I had while I was there that just struck me to be, it, it was, a, it was a, a white person who, had, who was, was living in this predominantly uh, black area, obviously, and uh, being on a complex where there were many socioeconomic uh, factors in place, lots of religious uh, domination, uh, you know, like, or, or, or a fear of religious domination happening or religious conversion and that sort of thing. And I just remember speaking to this person uh, who was explaining a moment that they had and the way that they were telling their story was like, I, I was trying to lead this person to Jesus. And, but the way that it hit me and my wife as we listened to it was this moment of, of just missing an opportunity to see somebody experiencing something powerful from God, but it wasn't, it didn't match what this person thought. And so in their mind, they were just missing the gospel. They were missing God. And that just, it, it just, I mean, it, it felt heartbreaking. It felt like a picture of abuse of power, you know, even in, in a very subtle way. And, and, and it, it just struck me as like, we, we have such a lost opportunity here because we're operating on this mindset of what is power is this. And, and that is such a, that, that's such a, that's a, it's a way that's like six or seven steps down the line from like, I'm in a position of authority and I'm using my power and I'm going to abuse somebody, but it's still an abuse of power, right? Like, even though it's further down the line, it still is that. And it just breaks my heart when I think back to that. I do think, again, it's really subtle. It's the water we swim in that we think power looks like this. So when we talk about God, we talk about this way. And when we talk about following God and doing God's work, we talk about power this way. But I, I just, if we can rethink that, maybe we come to really different conclusions. Yeah, there's this, um, it's a lot more subtle, but I think just as damaging in the ways that our ideas of what power looks like can invalidate um, other people's experiences of the power of God. That one that doesn't operate in these certain confines or um, images of like this grand narrative of control that's taking place. Um, that there's like, you're just missing the mark on something that's happening. Instead, seeing the, the sustaining good power um, that people I think from outside of a Jesus following tradition can absolutely experience and name too. I think there's a piece of that in what's going on here as well. Um, but your motivations piece of like why people would even be present in situations with uh, suffering taking place. Like that's just the, it's the epitome of the unmoved movers. I think of operating from yeah. the sense of like yeah. a moral obligation in a way, but not in a way that's actually um, humanizing and viewing other people as people, but kind of as this means to an end of, um, it keeps things at an arm's length away, I think is what I'm trying to say here. Absolutely. There's risk in being the most moved mover because you have to be 
in that. And if that is what we are encouraged to do when, like you read this passage from John, Jesus saying we are to do greater things, even that we are to be even more moved movers, you know, mm-hmm. than, than, what, than what Jesus is doing. And there's a great deal of risk in that. And, and to me, that speaks all the more to the power of God, the God that I am praying to, the God that I am, uh, I am looking to to guide me through the challenges in my life or in our world is not a God who is, you know, again, like, you know, coldly from afar, every once in a while dropping an intervention. This God has skin in the game. Uh, literally skin in the game. God would 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 go and and die on behalf of the the oppressed in His world, and uh, and that I mean that that to me is a really beautiful picture of power. Again, it is not a power that you know is is can can control anything. It's not a power that has like perfect you know like uh, I can you know I have all the puzzle pieces and I can arrange them any way I want. But maybe that's not the power we want. Maybe maybe a much more powerful power is the resilience, guidance, presence in the mess thing that we're talking about. Definitely. And it's, it's directional too, I think, in the sense of like having God as a most moved mover, which is really hard to say the more you have to say it. Um, but that, that that invitation is to be like, for us to be more moved movers, like the, it's not a stagnant thing. Um, because if we have this disengaged God, who's an arm's length away from suffering to fit into that narrative, doesn't really have much direction to it. But if we're brought into the spirit of moving, um, of having direction to what's going on, we can have this both and of acknowledging harmful power and having hope and good power. And I, I think I'm still in a place of doing a lot of personal work of what does that, like, what does good power even mean in like a communal invitational sense. But I do think that Jesus sets a really strong precedent for being able to sit in that tension to name and call out and acknowledge the way that harm is taking place um, and to have hope in something that is a more clear picture of goodness, um, of a power that can be healing and redemptive and offer hope. Um, And that's, yeah, that there's this directional piece of what does it look like to join in that work, um, even in thinking about um, Juneteenth and the being able to have that be a federal holiday and not have any of the actual concrete action to really be making changes that value and protect um, and honor black lives, that there's a disconnect there. Um, I think of my, my uh, classmates at Stateville and normally they would have been able to gather and worship and discussion on Friday, but they had to stay in their cells because the staff had the day off. Um, and that's some of this, this distance piece to set things from an arm's length away instead of moving it into a place of actual embrace and embodiment and engaged change. Um, that there's so much more room there to actually, to follow a God who is for the flourishing of all people, to participate in that looks a lot different than a disengaged, unmoved mover type of God. Absolutely. Uh, So Haley, I'm wondering if we can give any sort of takeaways uh, for people um, because a a lot of what we're talking about, you know, we, the, the, the title this morning is rethink power. So we're talking about like shifting our mind. We're talking about like 
we're the fish in water and we're realizing we're swimming in water. Oh my God, I'm swimming in water, right? Like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of background stuff going on when we say we need to rethink power. And I think Barbie is really capturing, I just noticed in, in the chat, uh, there's a few questions that she's asked that I do think really capture well this idea of like, what we're suggesting here is a really fundamental shift about what is power. You know, this thing I, I recommended before of like, it, it we uh, we spent um, uh, last summer, we spent a great deal of talking about the God of the oppressed. And this idea was that almost all of the messages, almost all of the voices that have formed, what does it mean to believe in God? And what does it mean to follow God have been powerful voices because powerful voices get to tell history. Powerful voices get to write the theology books. And what we are recommending is that there is actually a really strong thread all the way from pre-Jesus all the way to today that has said power looks like this. Power looks like control. Power looks like being the CEO at the top of the hierarchy and what you say goes. If you says this person is fired, that person is fired. If you said that I want this to be the case, then that is the case. And what we are suggesting is that Jesus paints a very different picture of power. And the Hebrew people who wrote the Old Testament paint a very different picture of power. And so it requires a lot of like, rethinking. It's, it's, it's going from the God of the oppressed angle, not the God up above powerful angle. So like what I'm looking for, for takeaways for us, you know, maybe in the spirit of some of these questions that Barbie have asked or any of the other ways that we might imagine this is hard, Haley, what are our takeaways to kind of like help us be that fish who's realizing I'm swimming in water? Oh my God, water. How, how do I, how do I keep my mind, you know, like sh uh, shifting back toward a better version of power, a better version of power, a better version of power? Yeah. In many ways, this feels like kind of just the tip of the iceberg. Like there's a lot to unpack um, because when it does involve a fundamental shift in how you've conceptualized of God, um, whether directly or have heard it spoken by other people around you, um, it's a lot to sift through and to make the connection of that mindset and how it actually plays out in everyday embodied life, I think is a really critical piece. Um, but it takes some of the sorting out to be able to work through that and see them as connected. Um, yeah, there's, it's work. I think, and as you're naming this too, this continuity of like, there's always, there have always been these voices of power, um, naming history, talking about like conquest and things like that, that the powerful voices have prevailed. There have also absolutely been threads of people, um, and people tied to Jesus throughout history that have spoken of a different type of power and um, almost from like the underside or the underbelly of like the beast of the power structures that we are surrounded by in the world, that there have always been voices of um, offering a different, a different view, a different perspective. Um, and it's often from people, it's almost always from people who are more critically impacted by the misuse of power to listen to and to prioritize those voices in the forming of our theology, of our activism, of our hope for the world, um, to lean into that story. I think any opportunity to listen to voices that are offering um, this perspective from underneath instead of perspective from above, that that's gonna be really redemptive in this work. That's really good. So like pay attention to who you're listening to is a, is a really good thought. That makes me think of what Kyle often says to us of like, 
the the scriptures are meant to exalt those who are humbled and humble those who are exalted and so if if we're if we're keeping that lens in mind keeping like the idea of like where is this voice coming from that i'm learn that's supposedly telling me about what's wise or what's the you know what power is is it coming from above or is it coming from below it, from a from jesus terms i mean not not every single time but on jesus terms often you want to listen to that voice that's coming from below not the voice that's coming from uh, above so i appreciate that uh, i suppose my takeaway um i'm gonna i'm gonna grab uh one of the explicit questions from the chat because i just think it's a good one um ben is asking like so he uh, we made reference to the exodus earlier and uh and ben's question is in in the case of god hearing the israelites in egypt Ben's question is, what had God been doing for 400 years when they're enslaved? Now, to me, that question is exactly the reason that I cannot believe in a God that could stop any suffering, but chooses not to. Because if that God could stop 400 years of enslavement, but chose not to so that he can show up later so he can write a good story, I just think like that God is not morally attractive to me. That God is a monster, right? That God let somebody, let a people be tormented for 400 years. So personally, I, th this is why I resist. I think that, again, if we if we can look carefully at the scriptures and look carefully at the life of Jesus and, and think about the way that we found God show up in our own lives, I think that what we see is not a picture of a God who could stop any suffering but chooses not to. I think what we see is resurrection is the best picture of God's all-powerfulness. If we're talking about God being all-powerful, don't think about Aristotle, the unmoved mover who writes all things and here's the blueprint to how life will go and you know it better follow this path or else you're going to hell. Like, Don't think about that. What we want to think about if we're thinking about all-powerfulness all is resurrection. Yes, death happens. Yes, suffering happens. Those things cannot always be stopped because people make terrible choices, because, because the, the, our earth is in chaos and climate change has, has increased the number of hurricanes and all of these things that are happening. We can't always stop those things. God can't always stop those things, but God has resurrection. God can redeem anything that happens. That's God's all-powerfulness. I don't think that God's all-powerfulness starts at the beginning of the story. I think it starts at the end of the story. And that to me is that that to me is a God worth following and a God that I don't look at 400 years of enslavement of a people. Or if we can move this to the present and look at two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the people of Galveston, Texas finally hear that they are freed. If a God who allows that could have stopped that, but allows that, I, I I'm I'm not interested in that God. I don't think that that God is is morally uh, worth following. But a God who is in the middle of that, who sees all of that suffering, and says, "I am going to forge a way. I am going to forge a way to save people in the midst of this. I am going to redeem this. I am going to track us toward freedom. All of the power structures be damned that are fighting us against that." Now that's a God that's inspiring to me. Yeah, just a head nod to all of that. <laughs> just this big stamp of amen. It really is that if every single um, tragedy, loss, disaster is a chance to say, oh, well, like God could have done something about it, but didn't. To me, that's just more and more chances to say, like, how can I trust that God? How is that a good God in any way? Um, the thought that God would be using suffering, like, 
good people don't use other people. So how could a good God be using people as a part of a narrative? Um, and to be brought into the spirit of understanding the, the most moved mover that is found in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. like, that's the most beautiful picture of power than I can think of. And it's, it's disarming. It's just not what we would go to or think of. Um, but to be able to look to that as the model instead of needing to have this powerful from on high God um, in that type of a sense that we, we don't need to take our own structure and conceptual, conceptualization of power and impose it on God. God gives us a far more beautiful picture. Amen to that. Well, as we are, I don't even want to say wrapping up here because it really feels like as we're starting this conversation, <laughs> I would love to pray for us. Um, yes, I'd love to pray. So if you'd join me here. Most moved mover. We look to you um, in search of a God that we can trust, a God who sees suffering and doesn't invalidate it um, or tell people to just idly wait things out, but that invites us in the spirit of moving, of direction, of um, naming injustice and actively looking for ways to dismantle power. God, I thank you that you give us a clearer picture of that whole process through your death and resurrection, that the redemption that's found in that gives us the really critical way to continue on both looking to you as a savior and acting things out within communities. Lord, I thank you for those um, that are gathered here today that are doing this work in really concrete ways. May you continue to be a God of connection who's helping us to see that the, the ongoing work of undoing damaging theology, of looking to pictures of you that we may have been given and saying, wait, I think there is something new. I think there is something different here. May you be just a sustaining hope in all of that. You offer us rest and peace and further direction for how to be moved movers in the world. Amen.